everybody. Welcome to church. Can you please stand up? Let's sing some songs about Jesus. Hey, clap your hands. Come on, just like this. We've come to bless the name of God here in church. Oh, it's a good day. Now sing with me. Your word is a lamp unto the only way for me. It's a narrow road that leads to life, but I want to be on it. Yes, I do. It's a narrow road, but the first is wide, because you're good on your promise. Hey, I take you at your word.
church to sing songs full of faith, to make a good profession of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is our custom. We like to speak and confess the scriptures as an act of worship. So would you please put your attention towards the screens? We are going to pray and confess Psalms 37 together as a church. Let's read this together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Before we sing, can we just close our eyes? Can we lift up our hands as an act of worship to the Lord? And can we just pray? Father, we thank you that you're good and your promises. Every promise that you have spoken is a resounding yes and amen. We believe it, we agree it. And so Father, I thank you for this beautiful congregation that's here today. Whether we're carrying burdens or whether we're just completely joyful, would you meet us, in each of us, in our particular needs? And may we drop the cares of this world at the cross of Jesus. May we lift up the song of the redeemed. May we lift up the name of Jesus, focus on Jesus, keep our eyes upon Jesus, for he is the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. So we enter into this prayer with worship. We say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Let's keep worshiping, friends.
worthy of all we have to offer. That's all that he asks, is all that we have. He asks for all of us. Just a prophet, some say just a man, but who do we say he is? Yeah, Jesus. 
No. 
has overthrown the grave. No one else, no one else has the power to say. No one else, no one else but Jesus, Messiah. Come on, do you believe that? Let's sing. Hey! No one else, no one else has overthrown the grave. bless the Lord in this place. Y'all know how to shout with the shout of triumphant. You know how to shout with the shout of praise unto the Lord. I just said you know how to do it, so let's do it. You know, the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's an act of our will. I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I will bless the Lord at all times. You know, we had a men's uh, retreat this weekend, and, and my will was not I will. It was like, oh, me, oh, my. But when I gave God my yes and I said, I will bless the Lord, I will go up the mountain, what ended up happening was it was an act of faith. I don't know where you are right now, but will you give God a I will bless the Lord? Will you give God a yes? So what ended up happening was, and as you are driving in the mountains of Colorado, what happens is you can't see certain perspectives when you're just standing still. A lot of times you have to go around the corner. And when you go around the corner, all of a sudden, there's a different perspective, something that you've never seen. All I'm saying is, is when you take a walk of faith, God is going to show you a different perspective. Will you give him a yes? Will you come follow me? And when you say yes, when you begin to walk, he shows you something different. All I'm saying is no matter where you are right now, things will change. It will get better. For the things that we look at now are temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Meaning that if you can look at me right now, I'm at 49 years old, right? That's going to change tomorrow for the better, amen? It's going to change. So whatever situation you're in right now, it will change. And if you give God your yes, if you give him, I will bless the Lord. If you say, yes, Lord, I will follow you, it will change for the better, amen? Do you receive that this morning? Come on, shout unto the Lord one more time. 
Give him praise in this place. Hallelujah. 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 I will bless the Lord at all times. I will keep his praise in my mouth. Amen. Even when my body says I'm tired, I don't want to move. No, no, no. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to take another step. I'm going to go one more hour. I'm going to go one more minute. I'm going to bless the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm gonna get, listen, I'm happy all by myself. You ain't got the praise one with me. I'm trying to invite you into a praise that I got on the inside of me. Hallelujah. Something happens when you come down off the mountain. God changes some things. The ladies should be shouting because some men got changed. Amen. That should be a mighty shout of praise in this place this morning. We got changed on that mountain. Hallelujah. Well, bless the Lord. I'm not going to take no more time. I'm not the preacher today. Amen. Bless the Lord in this sanctified church. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless his name. I'm only here to encourage us in our giving. Amen. There are four ways that you can give. And my encouragement to you this morning is to give. Amen. Bless the Lord. Give unto the Lord because he has given unto us a new day. Amen. He's given us a new day, and we can give unto him because he has given unto us. Amen. We have a prayer of liturgy that we like to pray and recite and, and just pray and uh, partner in with, if you would do that for me. I'm not going to look at that screen because that writing is a little small. Amen. <laughs> Getting older. Oh, man. Pray with me. Amen. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceit of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. Once again, there are four ways that we can give. Amen. Bring your children close. We want to pray over them and release them to go and receive from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Big children, little children. Amen. And we do this by saying the Lord's Prayer. If you would say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, amen. Children, you are released to skip to your classrooms and receive from the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to this house. There's a praise in this place. I'm telling you, it's something to partner in with and to be excited about because this is the day that the Lord has made. I will. There it is. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Hallelujah. At this time in our service, we want to take the time to just meet someone that you have not met. Amen. You're released. Meet and greet.
Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. If you all could start taking your seats. We just want to welcome you to New Life Midtown this morning. You know, we are one of eight congregations speaking three languages in the city. And we're so thankful that you chose to join us today. Um, real quick announcement for you. I'm going to start with a story. So, as some of you know, I just got back from Africa seven or eight days ago. And while we were there, we were working with a care point and in a village, really encouraging the people of that community to step up and be the answer in their community, to look to the needs and to meet the needs in their own community. So we're not an outside source coming in and, you know, fixing everything in this community. We're encouraging them, like, you have the answer in you. And, you know, I left really convicted because I realized I don't know how much ownership I take in my own city. You know, like, even on my own street on a daily basis, like, am I noticing my neighbors and am I taking ownership and where God has placed me? So we have an opportunity together to take ownership in our city with an event coming up on October 7th called CityServe. You'll see, thank you, you'll see all the details up there. We're going to be serving in several locations around the city. You know, we believe in blessing schools. We want to raise up kids and the knowledge of the Lord, and we want to bless teachers because you know it's been hard for teachers in this season, right? So we're going to be serving at schools. We're going to be serving at Life Network. Life Network is one of our partners, and we're going to be serving with Fostering Hope families. So there's several foster families in this city who need help, who have projects on their house, and so we just want to launch a hundred volunteers from Midtown to go out on this one day, October 7th, and bless our city, to be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus, and to meet the people where they're at. Amen? So you can sign up for that, causeiloveyou.com. If you need to take a picture of that slide to know the places that we're serving, you can do that. Or you can visit me at the Welcome Center after service. We'll have a list of QR codes. We love QR codes in this building. We'll have a plethora of QR codes. We've been quoting uh, the three amigos, and I realize it goes over almost everyone's head. A plethora. <laughs> anyway, y'all, come back, sign up for that. You'll see Instagram posts. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. It's just three hours of, three hours of your day where we can take ownership in our city, be the hands and feet in Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. For all of the uh, three amigos fans in the house, I just have to say it. El guapo. Do you know what a plethora is? <laughs> yes, a plethora of QR codes. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you in the house today. Rick and Esther, are you guys double dipping? Oh, my gosh. I feel so honored. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> guys, it's so great to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Sidron mentioned this, that we just came off the mountain on a very, very powerful and drink a cup of coffee and nurse it for an hour sit in my PJs, get a good fatty breakfast, walk around the park, just like, you know, a three-hour morning. Like, that is a gift. That is such a gift. But here I am, and I'm on assignment with the Lord this morning, and you guys are here. Y'all don't want to hear me talk about uh, slow mornings. Y'all want to hear the word of the Lord this morning, don't you? I do feel like I have a quick word for you, a couple of quick things I want to mention. Then we're actually going to go into this little Jesus lullaby. I just needed this. I asked Jonathan to help me with this, so just work with me, and then I'll preach the word real quick and real strong. The first thing is this. The friends, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, I want to announce this to you, and I want to announce it over you this morning. As I was in worship for service, and again, I've been running at a pretty fast pace here, 
and I've been around a lot of people for a really long, concentrated amounts of time. And I just, I recharge when I'm alone and I've not had any alone time really over the past five weeks. And so I've been finding myself like, God, I need to recharge these batteries, but I'm just digging in and pouring out. And that's just where you have me right now. And as I was sitting here worshiping, the temptation was to consider this moment, this morning as work. And there is a degree to which this is work, but I immediately felt the Holy Spirit just recalibrate me and say, son, this is joy. This is joy. There's joy here. And so I just found myself saying, Lord, I want to find joy and take delight. I want to find joy and take delight. I want to find joy and take delight. As I was walking in this morning, little Peyton was kind of hiding. She was hiding uh, in front of the doors. And as soon as I walked in, she popped out and she said, hi, Pastor Jade. And it was just the most joy-filled thing. I was like, I'm not going to get that in my slow morning, right? Connecting with so many of you, looking deep in your eyes, hugging you, feeling the life and the warmth of, of your holy affection in God. I just, I just took joy in that today. Um, I hope I didn't weird out any of the worship team, but I was just looking at them a little bit differently because I was taking delight and finding joy. Man, we have an amazing worship team, you guys. Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, sitting up on this little stool right here is Lauren does such a masterful job um, announcing to us the things that are happening. Sometimes I just like scanning the room, and I'll, I'll connect with some of you guys. I'll lock eyes with you, and I just, man, I took delight, and I found joy in that. And then second service, I did something in worship that I don't do very often because I like being up here in front. Um, But I just kind of posted up behind that sound booth, and I was watching you worship the Lord. And I know some of your stories, and I know some of you guys are in a very difficult place in a very difficult season of life, and there is cost to your worship today. Like you are paying something expensive to give God what he deserves in the place of worship. And friends, I just sat back there and I just took so much delight and so much joy in watching you, watching you worship Jesus. Creating an environment that is worthy of who he is. And in all of those things, I just felt like strength rise in my soul. Strengthen my faith and strengthen my spirit and strengthen my imagination and strengthen my hope was rising as I just took delight and I found joy in the moment that I'm in. And I believe that's a word for some of you today, right? Find joy and take delight in the season that God has you in. There is always something to find joy in and there is always something to rejoice in, even in the darkest, most difficult season of your life. So I hope that that encourages you. Um, And if it didn't encourage anybody, it encouraged me. All right. Friends, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to need you to talk back to me a little bit today. I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull strength out of you as you pull strength out of me. So let's let today be a dynamic transaction. All right. All right. I want to make an announcement. And that is we are opening up our, our family talk, which is a quarterly membership gathering. We have a very, uh, what we just call the spirit of membership. So over the course of many, many years pastoring here, this is my 19th year, going on my 20th, a lot of people have asked me over the course of time, how do you deal with membership? And I have seen membership play out in a lot of different ways, most of which are very wooden, and most of which can be very legalistic and law-driven. And so what we have landed on is what we're just calling the spirit of membership, and this is what this means, that we are trusting you to discern whether or not God himself is calling you into this body of believers. And this is very important. This is my philosophy of church membership. 
that we can fill out things and we can sign our names and we can agree on paper to be a member and we could be the furthest thing from it because God has not revealed unto us the spirit of membership. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 with me, if you would. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. There are some of you here this morning that are in a discerning phase. And what I mean by that is you're, you are, and I hope you are, you're discerning whether or not God is calling you to this house. Listen, there are hundreds of amazing churches in this city. We just happen to be one of them. I happen to believe we're one of the best, but that's neither here nor there, all right? But we're one of many amazing churches in this, in this city. And truth of the matter is, like, if you wanted to take an approach towards Christianity and church going, where you just kind of, like, did a little smattering and, a little, you know, did a little flight of the faith and you did a little sampling of Christianity and you popped in and out, like, that would be decent and it would take you so far. But there is something about finding where God has planted you. God, where have you placed me? Where have you called me? Because where God has called you, he's going to release a grace for you. And you need a grace to belong to a people. Right? Over the course of time, the longer you're in a body of believers, something's going to happen that you disagree with, that's going to disappoint you, something that you don't like, that doesn't meet your preferences. And if your criteria for belonging to a house is only, I like the music, the, the preacher guy's decent, uh, I love the kids' ministry, and the coffee is lit, like if that's as far as we're going, it's not going to hold you when we have disagreements. Right? Because we're just going to progressively keep tackling more and more difficult things. We're going to keep pushing the envelope of what it means to have life in the kingdom. We're going to keep leaning into each other relationally. And friend, you need to know whether or not God has called you into that. And sometimes it takes months to discern. And how can you, oh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting naughty right now. How can you discern whether or not God has called you into a place if you only show up once every th- three or four months or three or four weeks? Right? So discern, like, God, are you planting me here? And if he is, say, God, I want everything that you have for me to receive, and I choose to give everything that you're calling me to give. With all that being said, next, when, next Sunday at 4 o'clock is our family talk, and we're going to open that wide up. And here's what I'm going to ask. If you're in the discerning season, don't come. It's okay. Stay in that discerning season. Go to New Life Next. Uh, keep coming to services, uh, go to small groups, like just discern. But if you know, and you're like, Pastor, I'm here to tell you right now, I felt like I've got a word from the Lord, and I'm marrying myself to that, and I want to be a part, because there are expectations that we have for people that consider themselves pillars and members of the, of the family. All right, I'm going to expect you to, to, to work through conflict. I'm going to expect you to leave the church in a certain way. I'm going to expect you to lean in and respond when I challenge you. I'm going to expect you to give of your time and your finances and your ministry gifts. I'm going to expect those things. And you should expect certain things from me as your pastor. Like, we just, we up the ante of the relationship when you put yourself in that place of being a pillar and a post in the house. So pray about it, think about it, and I invite you to come next Sunday. By the way, um, I'm going to be throwing down with some chili. I'm going to lay down the gauntlet right now. And uh, I'm a little ticked off the past two years. I've, got, I've, I've come in second place. I'm not a second place man. All right, so I'm coming for first place this year on the chili cook-off. I'm just throwing the challenge out there. Any of you guys who want to make a mean batch of chili, bring it. 
all right? But it probably won't win this year because, because I'm, I'm just called to win this year. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And, uh, yeah, a little healthy provoking and a little healthy competition is a good thing. All right, guys, we're sitting at 1145. And um, as we were in worship, I just, I just had this sense, you know, sometimes you need, to, you need to just slow down and you need to lean in a little bit more. And I just couldn't help but feeling as in the place of worship saying, Jesus, this is all about you. And some of you, more than anything this morning, more than, you know, funny announcements or even powerful preaching, man, you, you need to meet with Jesus today in a fresh and a new and a refreshing and in a filling way. And I want this to be a house where you can always come and you can know that you can encounter the living God. Jesus, I, I want to say to you again that everything that we do is all for you and it's all about you. I want you to be the one we're talking about when we leave this place. I want us to become more fascinated with you and fixated on you, Jesus. I, I want us to be more in love with you. I want us to go deeper in discovering who you are, God. I, I never want to get bored or content with knowing who you are. And so I just want to sing some love songs to Jesus, church, and I want to invite you to join me, and then I'll preach a quick word and bless you, and we'll get out of here. But Jonathan, take us to some sweet places, if you would. Come on, church, let's go there. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in Seeking you as a precious jewel, more to give up, I be a fool. You are my all in all, Jesus. And Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name.
time we'll sing that prayer. Jesus be the center of your church. Jesus be the center of your church. And every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess you Jesus. We'll just sing his name a few times. Jesus this name, Jesus, the holy name, yeah, keep it going, Jesus, Jesus, the living one, the living word you are, Jesus, oh, Jesus, two more times, Jesus, Jesus, from my heart. Jesus, you know that I can't hear this song without rededicating and consecrating this house to you again. And so I'm going to do what I've done hundreds of times before. Oh, God, I just say that this people, this beautiful family of believers belongs to you. Everything about this house belongs to you, Jesus. You're the king. You're the hero. You're the shepherd. You're the captain. You're the famous one. We love you so much. I'm amazed that you never give up on us, Jesus. I'm amazed by your patience with us. I'm amazed by your tenderness and by your gentleness with us. Jesus, I'm amazed at how faithful you were to the Father, that everything the Father said, you did it, and you were always looking to see what the Father was doing. Jesus, you're... You're it, man. Jesus, I want to say thank you again for saving me. I want to say thank you for your undying obedience and your unswerving allegiance to the heart of God. Jesus, when you were locked up in a battle of your soul in the Garden of Gethsemane and you said, not my will, but yours be done. 
I want to say thank you for that. I'm here because you won that battle. We're here because you said yes to the Father. We're here because you laid down your power and your rights and your entitlement. Our lives are different because of you. We have hope because of you. Jesus, we we are no longer bound to addiction and the struggles of sin because of you. And we owe every drop of strength and allegiance and devotion that we have inside of us to you. You're the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, we love you. Son of God, son of David, son of man, son of suffering, we love you. Holy Spirit, would you draw us to Jesus again? Take us back to first love, Holy Spirit. Take us back to first love before we had it all figured out. Before we were master theologians and professional churchgoers, Jesus, take us back to the heart of Jesus. Take us back to times when we would be undone, when tears would come easily and they would fall on the pages of the Bible. Take us back to that place, O Holy Spirit. When saying yes was easy, we love you. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe on the word, breathe on the gospel, and change us again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, Jonathan. If you're here with us today for the first time, you just need to know that we're going to run after the heart of Jesus. All right? That's what we're about. We're going to love God. We're going to love each other. We're going to love the world. And we're going to do it by the grace and the strength that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And we invite you to join us. All right, let's go. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1. And I want to tee up, I want to kind of frame the past six messages that we've preached on, and I want, to, I want to announce to you a theological theme that is definitely front and center in the book of 1 Kings, but one that I believe is absolutely critical that we get right as the body of Christ. And this is the theme of power. Like when you read First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, I hope that what you're getting is I hope that between the lines as you're reading the scriptures that you're seeing that God is very interested in power, power and authority, and that God has a prescribed intention and a prescribed purpose for power. And that if we think about the way that we live our Christian life, in contrast to the way that the world lives their lives, so much of that can come down to how power is stewarded and managed. All right, so as I kind of shoot that flare up in the sky, provide a little light, look with me at 1 Kings chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 5. The scripture says, Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward. Say, put himself forward. And he said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was very handsome, 
and he was born next after Absalom. Let me stop right here and give you guys a little bit of historical context of what's happening. David, who's the second king, but the greatest king of all of Israel, is an old man now. We talked about this last week, the theology of death and dying and growing old, and asking ourselves how we're going to steward strength and power in the earlier years of our lives. So now David, who is Adonijah's father, he is coming to a place where his tenure of glory and strength is coming to an end, and now there is a leadership vacuum. And if you're not familiar with all of the story, what you need to know is that David actually has 19 sons. Adonijah is the fourth. Solomon is about the seventh. And early on in David's career, we didn't talk about this in first service, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find that God shows up to David through the prophet Nathan, and he gives David a promise. And this is what God says to Nathan. He says, from your very body, I am going to raise up another king who is going to be faithful. From you, David, I am going to raise up. Everybody say, raise up. All right, so what we have to understand when we talk about power and authority is that there's two ways to approach grasping for power or receiving authority. Adonijah, who's the fourth son, steps up and he puts himself forward and here's what he says. I'm going to take, I'm going to take power and I'm going to take authority in the vacuum. But the promise that God gave to David wasn't that you'll have a son who takes authority, but that I'm going to raise up. Solomon at this point really is, is a son that, who for all intents and purposes should have a measure of shame on his life because he's the son who's born to that woman. He's the son who was the byproduct of infidelity, and he was the byproduct of some of David's most sinful decisions. And why would God place the privileged position of power and authority on that man? This must be running through Adonijah's head. Adonijah was sitting at the table when his older son Absalom, who was one of David's sons, his older brother, David's second son, a man by the name of Absalom, does the exact same thing. How many of you guys know anything about a guy by the name of Absalom? Absalom is filled with rage and vengeance and anger and murder in his heart because his older brother, a man by the name of Amnon, David's first, took advantage of Absalom's sister. Two years in the waiting, Absalom conspired to murder his half-brother, and three years he went into exile, and when he came back, he conspired to win the hearts of all of the people of Israel and seize authority and oust his father. And Adonijah was a part of watching all of that play out. It's very possible in Adonijah's head, he's thinking, well, Absalom had the right idea, but he was challenging David when David still had a measure of strength. And now that David is old and there's a leadership vacuum, I'm going to finish what Absalom started. Because he goes about it the exact same way. He gets 50 men. He surrounds them with chariots and horses. He runs down the street. He proclaims himself king, and he has a special dinner for all of the king's sons. And this is exactly the playbook that Absalom was playing out of. And Adonijah's just thinking, I think that I can do it, and I think that I can do it better. Power is a very important thing in life. You need power. You need power to wake up in the morning. You need power to fulfill the call of God in your life. We find in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus says, you will receive, say it with me, 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We can't do what we're doing. Guys, we're involved in holy and eternal work in the lives of people, and that cannot happen by our own power. That can only happen by the power of God. Power is essential to function. In all of its different modalities and all of its different mediums, I want you to just kind of like take inventory of all the ways that you utilize and you function off of power. Think about just really basically right now, I'm functioning off of the power of this microphone. Right? We're sitting here cool because power is running through an air condition most of the time. And when it doesn't, it is God awful hot in here. We, most of us have gotten here because of the power of our vehicles or the power in our legs because we live in proximity to this place. You need power, financial power, physical power, spiritual power, emotional power. Like today, my power is thin physically, but there is a spiritual power that I'm operating in. We need power. Power is a good thing, but power can also be leveraged in a negative way. See, power is neutral. It's neutral. Power is very simply the ability to utilize strength and force converted to energy for a purpose and a function. It's all power is. It's neutral. It's like fire. I love fires. When we were in Eswatini, I would wake up every morning and I would serve the Swazi staff by getting in there and just making a fire in this little fire room where they would place their big, massive 40-pound cauldrons on this fire where they would heat up water and they would make food for 200 kids that would come every day. Fire is a good thing if it's used for a good purpose. But fire is also a very powerful element that in the hands of the wrong person with wrong motives, fire can be used to destroy and damage things very, very quickly in an irreparable way. Like power is neutral. So the question that we should not be wrestling with today is, is should we want power? Is power good? Is power bad? No, power is neutral. Here's the question that we should be wrestling with. What is inside of my heart and how am I handling and touching and managing and stewarding the power that is given to me? Every single one of you have power. Like if we had time, I could walk you through all of the different kind of categories and mediums of power. Like some of you in this room are very strong, and that is a form of power. We have athletes in the room. We have people that uh, have a natural sense of strength about them. And if we were to lock horns physically, uh, you would overpower me because you are stronger and more powerful than me. Your physical strength is a form of power. And you can use that to protect and defend, or you can use that to overpower and harm. One of the things that I try to teach my kids from a very young age is, boys, if you end up locking horns with someone and squaring off and getting to a fight, I just want you to know that if you start it, it's going to be a a bad situation between you and me. But if you stand up to protect and defend yourself or to protect and defend the weak, I will protect and defend you. You can use your power to hurt other people, or you can use your power to protect and defend. That's a word for husbands in the room. That's a word for people that have been given a measure of power. Like, listen, your position, whatever vocation you're in, the position that you hold is a form of power. Right? Some of you, your personality is very powerful. Some of you in this room, you've learned how to harness your personality in such a way that it's a blessing to the people around you. Some of you are still in the spiritual maturity journey to realize that the strength of your power is actually shutting other people down because of the force of which your personality is coming out, right? Your personality is power. 
some of you in this room are intellectually brilliant. Like you would run circles around me intellectually and I have no qualms about that. Yeah, have at it. But you're intellectually brilliant. You're academically studied. You're knowledgeable. You're eloquent with your words. Uh, Concepts and ideas come together quickly. Your level of comprehension and fluidity are, they're strong. They're astute. And that is an incredible gift and it is a power. And you can use that power to bless or you can use that power to be critical to slander, to be judgmental, to pick people apart, to sit back and always be unsatisfied and dissatisfied with everything because of the level of meticulousness in which you allow criticism to get into your heart and you're allowing that power that God has given to you to be stewarded in a way that is not producing life. Some of you, your relational network is a form of power. It's just like you walk into a room and people are drawn to you. They're attracted to you. You're like a people magnet. You've got a billion people following you on Instagram. Everything you put out there, there's a thousand likes. And that is a form of social power. That is a thing today, y'all. Did y'all realize that? Man, we got 20-year-olds making a thousand times more than most of us who have been in jobs for 40 years being faithful because there, there is a dynamic in the culture today where we place a greater weight of emphasis and value on social capital. It is a form of power. It's a form of power. I was sitting right next to a man on a train that was going from London to Paris. He was this young guy who was about 32 years old. He was decked out in Louis Vuitton. He had these big old massive celebrity shades on. And in my mind, I thought, this, this guy's a poser. He's a clown. Like, whatever, dude. We end up sitting right next to each other on the train. We got three hours. And he's from Paris. He's a Frenchman, young guy, handsome, and we start talking. He's like, is this your first time to Paris? I was like, yeah. He goes, like, what are you into? What do you want to do? And I was like, I was like, bro, I like food. He goes, oh, man. And he starts just throwing things. He goes, you need to check out this restaurant. You need to check out this restaurant. He starts, like, pulling things up and showing me. And then the last thing he does, it was so slick. He goes, and then you can check out my restaurant. I was like, all right. Then he goes to his Instagram page, and he begins scrolling through all these people. There's Justin Timberlake. There's Drake. There's Madonna. There's all of the political figures of France. There is all of these major uh, Euro World Cup soccer players. And I'm like, who is this clown? And he's like all downplaying it. He's like, yeah, I'm in London. We're opening up a new spot. He's like, yeah, my restaurant just happens to be like the hottest thing in Paris right now. I was like, all right, bro. So John was like, bro, why didn't you take a selfie with that guy and show up in his club someday? I was like, I don't want to be that guy. He goes, no, be that guy. It's a form of power. Every single one of us, whatever realm that we're in, you hold power to some degree. Grandparents, I want you to know that while you may not hold vocational power right now, you still hold a measure of power within your family. The things you say matter. I interact with people who would tell me, like, even, even into their 70s and 80s, words that their grandparents would speak over to them. And we're talking, about, we're talking about people who they themselves are grandparents and yet are still being formed and shaped by their parents. You hold power. The words you share, uh, the, the acceptance and the belonging, the way you manage that power has a very, 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 watch this, powerful effect on others. So power is neutral, and we have to understand this. 
that when power touches position and authority and leadership, power multiplies. I want you to look at one verse here with me. We're not going to look at all of them, but I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. The problem of power is that power multiplies for good or for bad. Proverbs 29, 2 says that when the righteous thrive, you could insert in there that when righteous leaders or righteous rulers or righteous kings, when they thrive, in other words, when they're operating in the realm of authority that they're called to and they're doing it in a way where their leadership gift is flourishing in a healthy manner, watch what happens. People rejoice. Joy and freedom and peace and security are the byproducts of power being utilized in a good and healthy way. But look at the next phrase right here. But when the wicked rule, but when the wicked touch power, that when the wicked usurp roles of authority, when the wicked grasp and they lay a hold of power illegally and they're managing that power, the people groan. You know what that means? It means they cry out. It means that oppression and injustice are the result of when people grasp for power illegally. Friends, there are so many scriptures that talk about this. I rattled several of them off in the first service. I want you to think about the consequences of bad power. Like we could think about the consequences of good power and contrast this, and, and, and it's, it's great. Like when I sit up under good power, I'm, I'm, I'm provoked to become better. When I sit up underneath good power, uh, my gifts and my abilities, they're celebrated and they're affirmed. Lids are taken off of me. Uh, strength is put inside of me. Um, I'm exposed to possibility when I sit up underneath good power. There's safety and there's security when I sit up under good, healthy, wholesome, emotionally whole, good power. It accelerates me. It exponentially expands who I can be in God. Uh, it, it takes me higher. It, it, it lifts me. This is the fruit of good power. You can risk without fear. You can discover and explore without fear of repercussion or consequence. That doesn't happen when you sit under bad power. Let's just talk for a few minutes about the consequences of bad power. Some of you have touched this. Some of you have seen this. Some of you have lived under this in marriages, on parents, and families, and companies, businesses, schools, great coaches, bad coaches, right? What are the consequences of bad power? I think, number one, fear, right? When... When men and women touch power illegally and they grasp it for themselves, what happens is it creates cultures and environments of fear. You don't flourish. You're not willing to take risks. You feel like you have to subdue a part of your personality because you're afraid that if you shine more than the leader or the person that is around you, it's just going to get beat down. You can't be fully who you are because someone who's above you positionally is not fully who they are. And so they're afraid that you being fully who you are is going to make who they are less than. What is the fruit of bad power? Not only is it fear and insecurity, but let's just get really, really honest. It's just flat out abuse. People get hurt. 
People get exploited. People get taken advantage of. People get dressed down publicly. They get humiliated. They get shamed mentally and emotionally. They get damaged. Damage and abuse is the result of people laying a hold of power and not trusting God to bring power to them. This is a big deal. I would venture to say that there are a lot of people, and I'm just going to stay within our field right now because I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to go into politics and military and, and, and other industries. I'm just going to stay right at home in the church. There are a lot of people that are sitting in seats of power that have no business being in power. Because, honestly, the power has not been given to them. It's been grasped. It's been taken. And by the way, can I just say this? Just because you have a degree doesn't mean that you're qualified to steward power. Just because you've been in the church for years, just because you've served on the deacon team, none of these things qualifies you to receive and steward and manage power. The only thing that qualifies you to steward power is if God himself has given it to you, is if he's trusted you with it. And just because you're in a position doesn't mean that you're in a position that God himself has given to you. That requires a, a, a lot of humility. And it requires a lot of honesty. And it's, 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 it's scary. But I'm telling you, if we had more pastors and we had more leaders and we had more people being really, really humble and honest with the power that's been given to them to the point that they're willing to step away from something because they realize they never were... I think we'd have a lot more into churches only to get hurt over and over and over again. We're just to talk about why we grasp for power, and this is where I hope that that we don't just kind of sit back and and analyze this from a cerebral standpoint. I'm hoping and praying that you actually take a moment to reflect on this. Why do we grasp for power? You may not realize this, I hope you do, but every single one of us have a lust for power deep inside of us. You want power. You want to be known, you want to be recognized. I have that inside of me. Let's talk for a couple of minutes here on why we grasp for power. Most of us grasp for power for control. Like we just want to be in control. We don't want to be out of control. We love certainty. We love things that are predictable. We love assuming that we are in control of every area of our lives. We want things to be orderly. We want things to be predictable. We want things to be certain. We want to be in control of our faith. We want, be, we want to be in control of our future. We want to be in control of our finances, of our health. And the idea or the notion of being out of control scares us to death. And so what do we do? We grasp for power. We find ways where we can lay a hold of power, be stronger, be more, be more intellectually acute, do whatever you can to be more and more and more powerful. By the way, this, this really is the seductive message of the world. It is so seductive. I mean, there are people that I love to follow out there uh, because I'm so, I so admire the way that they, that they do their craft. I mean, from singers to composers to athletes to leaders. Like, man, I could watch Kobe Bryant reels all day long and then just watch his interviews, and he's just like, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. Wake up earlier, work harder, wake up earlier, work harder. Like, like I kind of feed myself on that, and I realize, Jay, this isn't healthy. 
Because working harder and staying up later and, and, and denying yourself and just grinding and grinding and grinding, that's not necessarily the way of the kingdom. Right? You can accumulate power the world's way. Like all these people have shown you how to do it. You just be cutthroat, right? You neglect yourself. And here's, here's the mantra, work harder and you can accumulate more power. And I'm just here to confront that message from the enemy because that's not necessarily what God may want for you in your life right now. At the expense of losing your soul, at the expense of losing your identity, at the expense of losing your joy or your tenderness, at at the expense of being faithfully committed to a people, at the expense of spending uh, invaluable time with your family, is being more powerful worth it? Just so that you can have the illusion of being in control. Here's another reason. Uh, Some of us, not all of us, but some of us are bullies. Some of us want more control just so that we can... We can have power that we exert over other people. It's called coercion. And nobody would say that explicitly. Let's be honest. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that I want to be the most powerful person in the room so that if anybody ever challenges me that I can just knock them back down to size because I want to be, I want to be the man. Nobody would ever say that, but that's lurking inside of us. Some of us want to be powerful because of privilege. Jesus talks about this. He talks to the disciples and he says, hey, listen, he goes, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they love when they roll up into the marketplace and everyone sees them and recognizes them. They're celebrities. No one questions them. Everyone gets them the seat of authority and honor. They love being in the green room. They love going out into the city and being recognized and, and not just recognized, but that sense of, oh, wow. And Jesus says, watch out for that. Watch out for that. Friends, I'm here to tell you, it's insidious. It's insidious, and it's inside of every single one of us. When I was sitting next to that man, and he was just, you know, scrolling through, I was like, man, I'd love to hang out with JT. That'd be sick. That'd be awesome. Man, I want to throw parties in the who's who, you know, and the universe would come. And there was just like this, this moment where I was like, man, maybe I'm in the wrong industry, dude. I think I can, I can roll like this. I am being real. Like, think about this. We want to be in the who's who. We want to be in the social social circle. We want to be celebrities because it's a form of power that opens up privilege to us. And if you look out there, you will see, like, this is one of the dangers of Instagram. This is one of the dangers of social media outlets because they present a form of power that is so seductive that draws you in. I want that life. I was watching this testimony from Dion a few days ago, and man, if you haven't seen this, just Google Dion Sanders' testimony. And he said, listen, he goes, you know, there's this phrase out there in the athletic world, you know, like, I am him, I am him, I am him. You know what that means? It's like, I'm the man. Like, I, every, everything that you want to be, like, I'm him. I'm him. And Dion was essentially, he's like, listen, I was him. He's like, I had two or three women every night, every day of the week, and I was not satisfied. He's like, I have a 15,000 square foot house, but there wasn't a home. He's like, I had 20 cars, but I wasn't going anywhere. I had 500 pairs of shoes, but no guidance and direction in my life. I, I had all the privileges. I had all the benefits. I had the celebrity power working for me. And yet at the end of all of that, I was still coming up empty. We grasp for power because some of us, we just want autonomy. You know what autonomy is? Autonomy is the ability to make your own choices 
without having to submit those choices to the will of anybody else. That's autonomy. I love autonomy. And I'll just be frank with you guys today. Like, I would take this job for half the pay if it meant that I got to retain autonomy. I don't like people micromanaging me. I don't like people coming in, you know, chopping things up and, you know, paint colors on the wall and trying to tell me how to do my job. I know how to do my job, right? I love autonomy. It's a blessing and a curse, right? I got to be careful of that because God never called me to be autonomous. Hey, God called me to be submitted and obedient. God called me to take my power of autonomy and submit that to him and say, not my will, but yours be done. But there's something inside of us that we long for autonomy. And if I were to ask you today, like how many of you guys love autonomy, every one of you should raise your hand and here's how I know. I'm going to just pick on guys here for a little bit, but you women, you're also guilty. Because like there's times when I'm like, I'm going to go wash the dishes. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I feel inspired to wash the dishes. I feel motivated. I got a little energy and strong. I'm going to wash the dishes. And I'm moving in the direction of washing the dishes. And Chrissy will be like, hey, babe, sweetest tone ever. Hey, would you wash the dishes? And all of a sudden, like, just I get demon possessed. Don't tell me to wash the dishes. Now, all of a sudden, I don't want to wash the dishes no more. God, why you got to tell me to wash the dishes? I was going to wash the dishes. Well, you ain't got to tell me to wash it. I know it's my night of the week to wash the dishes, boo. I'm going to wash the dishes, okay? No, nah, I don't want to wash the dishes no more. You know what that is? That's that unhealthy, unholy need for autonomy. It's an unhealthy use of power. Don't tell me what to do. I wash the dishes on my own time. Yeah, I'm going to wash the dishes later tonight when you go to sleep. No, just because I, I say when, I say where, I say how, I say what time. I'm going to wash dishes. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 20. Jesus shows us a different way. He shows us a different way on how to steward power. Guys, this one right here, this one, this one, this one hits home for me. This one hits home. There have been seasons of my life, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, where I felt like, God, I, I'm being robbed. I'm wasting my time. I've not been promoted. I'm not in the position. I've not been given the ear of the authority that I believe that I could have or that I should have. And even as, guys, man, I'm telling you, even as I was wrestling, I was wrestling through this this week. And all I could feel inside of me was, Jay, don't be an Adonijah. Lay your power down before the Lord. Lay your power down before the Lord. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and his disciples, previous to these verses, are having a conversation about who's going to sit in seats of power. Right? A couple of brothers, her mom rolls up, and she begins kind of having this conversation with Jesus about sitting at Jesus' right or left hand. These are positions of power. I want my sons to be elevated. I want them to be prestigious. I want them to be celebrated. I want them to be recognized. I want them to be powerful. And these guys roll back, and the other ten disciples are like this. But they just ticked off that they didn't have the conversation first. And then Jesus opens up, and this is what he says in verse 25. Jesus called them together, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, this is how they exercise power. They lord it over them, and, they, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, but not so with you. Say, not so with you. The kingdom way is a different way. The kingdom way is not a democratic way. The kingdom way is not a, uh, I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going I'm to uphold my rights. Guys, that, that is not the kingdom way. 
this is the kingdom way. He says, not so with you. Instead, if you want to be great, be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man didn't come to exercise authority. He didn't come to remain autonomous. He didn't come to preserve positions of power. That's not why the Son of Man came. He came to take the power that God entrusted him with and to wash the feet of the people that are around him. He came to take that power and pull people from the outside into the inside. He came to take that power and to take social outcasts like lepers and not just restore their physical body, but restore their standing in the community. Everything that Jesus did with power was to build up. It was for the betterment of other people. And friends, I'm just here to tell you today, like, please, please, like, please hear this to the degree that you can hear this by the Spirit of God. But every single one of us in this room is guilty of touching the ring of power and being corrupted by it. And if you're, not, if you're not willing or honest enough to look at that and say, power will corrupt me if I'm not guided and governed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have no business touching power. Because power will corrupt every single one of us. It will change you. The seductive allure of power, it will make you mean. It will make you isolated. It will make you, it will make you a competitive person. I've seen this. I've seen it work out in front of me. People that were tender and gentle and friendly and compassionate and kind and fun and amiable. And then all of a sudden they grasp for power and they touch power. And all of a sudden they've been transformed into a different person that you don't want to be around. We don't want to get honest in church today. We are all prone to this. And maybe your lust for power doesn't look like, you know, being a big whatever, powerful business person or owning an empire of, 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 of entrepreneurship or sitting in the seats of authority in the church, but every single one of us twist and manipulate and deceive and use power in some way if it is not governed by the Holy Spirit. So here's our model, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 The scripture says, in your relationships with one another, then have this same mindset. You could translate it like this. In your relationships with one another, in your community, deal with power the same way Jesus did. Think about power and have the same perspective on power and authority that Jesus had. And here's what it is. Verse 6, Jesus was God. Jesus was God. He had the title, he had the position, he was in his very nature, in his very essence, in his very being. He was God. But he did not consider equality with God something, some translations say something to be grasped. That word grasped is a very important word in the scriptures. And friends, I want you to do some self-reflection over the course of the next week. And I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, God, how am I grasping for power? Some of us do it overtly, some of us do it manipulatively. We, 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 we posture ourselves to be in with, with the right group of people. That we, we give gifts or we invite people out to lunches or dinners or have those power golf outings or just whatever it is we do because we want to be close to the locus of power. And we're doing it so that we'll have our own sense of self-importance and worth. And friends, I want you to allow the light of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to shine on that who being in very nature God, the same seat of position and authority as God himself, yet he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, say rather, 
There's another way. There's a different way. There's a kingdom way. He made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. In verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's what you need to know, and this, this is a hard, hard pill to swallow. The only way that you can steward power in a way that blesses others is if you submit that power to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Several weeks ago, I was up early in the middle of the night, and I, just, and I was wrestling with God. God, I just was wrestling with this whole power thing. And here's what I felt like the Lord just pressed into me. He led me to this place of the cross. He said, Jade, every form of power that you have, I want you to bring it to the cross so that I can cleanse it and sanctify it. And I just began to walk through in the place of prayer. like 3 a.m. in the morning. I was sitting in Idaho on the top of the kitchen, icing my foot, and I just began praying. I was like, God, I give you my two degrees, and I submit them to the cross right now. I give you the past 30 years of every academic book that I've read, and I, I, I submit it to the cross right now. Lord, I give you the strength of my personality. I give you my Enneagram eightness, God, and I submit it to the cross. I give you my extroverted strength. I give you my charisma and my charm, God. I, I, I give you the years that I've served in ministry. I give you the senior pastor position, and I just bring it to the cross right now. God, I bring you my humor, and I submit it to the cross. I bring you my social network, and I, I bring it to the cross. Every form of power that you've entrusted to me, God, I bring it to the, to the cross. Because I want to steward power in a clean way, in a way that actually brings the life of a God and the redemptive power of God to the people that are around me, and not in a way that shuts people down and belittles them and brings control and coercion. God, I don't want to shut people down with your power. I don't want to hurt people with power. Lord, I want to use power to wash the feet of the saints, to, to, to be about the work of God. And the only way that can ever happen ever, is if you bring your power to the cross. Do not be deceived, church. Listen, do not be deceived. I have deceived myself so many times by just thinking, Lord, if I just have more power, I can do more good. You cannot do more good with more power if your power is being run through your own will and your own motives and your own ambitions. You can only be trusted with more power if you're willing to take the power you have and lay it at the foot of the cross and let God consecrated. Friends, would you stand with me to your feet this morning? I want to talk to one particular group of people or one particular person in the room today, and this is out of Romans chapter 5. We were sitting in worship, and this scripture just dropped into my heart. Some of us in this room have been trying to do life by becoming more powerful. You've, you've even been trying to do the Christian life by just becoming more powerful. Some of you outside of God, like the whole notion of God and church and Jesus and faith and Bibles and all that, it's brand new to you. But you've been trying to like figure life out and win the game of life and crush the competition in life by just becoming more and more and more powerful, financially powerful, well, whatever that is. And I'm just here to tell you today that no matter how high you climb in the ladder of power, that you're never going to experience the peace and the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the overwhelming joy and the acceptance of belonging and that sense of destiny and purpose that can only be found when we trade our power in to trust in the power of God. This is called salvation. 
Paul says it like this in Romans. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. When we were powerless. Powerless. The only way for me to actually gain the power of God is for me to become powerless. God, I don't choose my way and I don't choose my will anymore. I lay that down to receive the power of God that can save me, that can change me, that can transform me. No amount of guns or alcohol or drugs or women or men or cars or anything is ever going to truly settle you into a place where you can receive life and joy that come from the power of God. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, that, that's me, dude. You're speaking right at me. I've been trying to like figure life out by just becoming more powerful. And I realize that the more powerful I get, the more unsatisfied, the more angry, the more discontent I am. And I feel like God is calling me today to say yes to surrendering my power so that I can be saved. The rest of the scripture says that at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Friends, I want you to know that the most powerful being, the most powerful man that has ever walked, laid down his power so that he could die at the hands of sinful people in order to give you life called salvation. If you're today and you would say, Pastor Jade, I, I, I want to know God. I don't, I don't know him like you're saying. I've been trying to do this all on my own. I, I want to be saved. I, I, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to surrender my power to gain eternal life. If you would just lift up your hand, I want to pray for you today. This is the gospel of salvation, that we trade our power for the eternal power of knowing God and living in his purposes. Friends, if this is you, would you just lift up your hand so that I can know who it is that I'm praying for today specifically? You want to be saved. You want to be saved by the power of God. I see your hand back there, sweetie. All across this room, I want to invite you to pray right now. There's several hands that have raised their hand today. Man, I commend you and I honor you for your decision, for your bold courage. I want us all to pray this as a family of believers. Say, Almighty God, I repent for trying to become more powerful and replacing you with power. I repent for living life my own way and for grasping for power. And I submit to your power to save. I believe, Jesus, you're the son of God. You died for me. You became powerless to give me the power of salvation. You rose again from the dead by the power of the spirit. So would you save me and would you change me and would you heal me by the power of God in Jesus' name? Amen. Friends, the scripture says, now is the day of salvation. If you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm just here to announce to you today that there are people today who prayed that prayer. They meant it with every ounce of their heart and they are saved. And I want us to give a, just a crazy hand clap to the Lord today. Oh, we thank you, God. We praise your name. We bless you. We bless you. Now we can come to the table, and now we can celebrate. Friends, you can exit on your left, receive the body, receive the cup, and we'll take it together as a family and joy.
Brothers and sisters, with the cracker in your hand, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread as he shared a fellowship meal with his closest friends just hours before his crucifixion. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. In order for his body to be broken, he had to relinquish power in order for the power of salvation to come to humanity. Will you break that, feel how frail that is? And I want you to know that Christ's body, friends, was broken for you, for you to be whole and for you to receive life, let us receive the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Just feel that strength entering your soul, entering your spirit, entering your body, the strength of salvation, the strength of the life of God. In the same manner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Friends, I announce to you today, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. You do not have to work for forgiveness. You do not have to work 
For the mercy of God, it has been given to you freely in the blood of Jesus. Let us receive the cup. Amen. Wow. Aren't you so glad for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you so glad for mercy and grace and salvation and life that are made available to us? Friends, let's sing a song of thanksgiving to the God in the form of doxology. If we can pray for you in any way, we've got prayer warriors and prayer attendants up here. I invite you to come receive the ministry of prayer. If you're joining us for our new life next guest luncheon, we're going to start in about 10 minutes. You can go out into the foyer and they'll give you some direction on how to get out there. Go ahead and grab a meal, grab your lunch, get started. Pastor Jonathan and I will be there in about 15 minutes to walk you through an overview of our ministry here at New Life Midtown. Can I just bless you as we're sent out into our week? May the Lord bless you today. May the Lord fill you afresh with grace, with goodness. May the love of God overtake you. May the power of God rest upon you. May the Lord continue his good work that he started in you this morning. May he bring it to completion. May he grant you favor and flourishing in all that you put your hands to for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you so much.